Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And welcome to another episode of the Tapecast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. This episode of the podcast is one of the favorite varieties of Tapecast listeners. I have one of my friends who is way smarter than me come on the show. Keegan Abdu is coming on the podcast this week. He's been on uh, two prior episodes of the show as well as a couple uh, Patreon editions of the show as well. Keegan works for NFL Next Gen Snats and has published articles come out on NFL.com sort of revealing some of the trends every week that happen in the NFL and can only be found using the NFL Next Gen Stats. Keegan has a ton of great information about what's happening and what's changing in the NFL. I think that uh, this episode of the show is another great example of how the use of analytics can help us greater understand and predict things happening in the NFL. Of course, if you like the show, you can always leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's very helpful. You can also subscribe to the show on Patreon to get bonus episodes of the show. That's patreon.com slash takecast. And of course, we are sponsored by rotoexperts.com. The NFL 365 package gets you one year of rotoexperts.com for $39.99, and you can get $10 off using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K. Now let's get into the show. All right, everyone, very excited to welcome back my buddy Keegan to the show. Uh, He is a multiple repeat guest of the show. Have him on to talk about all of the cool stuff that he's doing uh, in in the world of of football analytics. One of the few guys who's actually grinding on the inside of the game to uh, to change the products that we are able to interact with Keegan. What's uh, what's changed since the last time we've talked to you? Um, So I uh, was able to work with – UCLA this off season, uh, just doing some general recruiting research and stuff and helping out, uh, Ethan Young, uh, who used to be at next gen is now the director of player personnel there. Uh, so that was a really great experience, but, uh, started back up with, uh, next gen in August and, uh, it's been really exciting. Um, one thing that's, I'll go through a few things that are new this year, but, uh, one thing that's new, I don't know if, um, you saw this, but last night um, and going forward for every NFL Network game, we're going to have a live uh, page on NFL.com where you can see the player locations throughout the entire game, including, you know, when I, one of my favorite things last night was pregame, you could see like all the Panthers running through like a tunnel, their tunnel uh, on the field, uh, which is pretty funny. And Ben Baldwin had a pretty funny uh, thread about the stuff on there, but um, the cool stuff that you can see in there is on any play in any of those games, you can go to play diagram. You can see how, you know, the dots on the field move throughout the play. It shows like the route. So you can kind of get an idea of the route concept and you can get um, separation between any two players. So definitely recommend checking that out uh, during any NFL network games. Um, engineering team has been working hard this off season um, of the stuff that's already been developed. Uh, one of my favorite things is um, we've added hurries uh, to the next gen tracking. Um, so this is something that we, you know, asked for 
for them to work for in the off season and they delivered in full. Um, before we were only measuring pressures at the pass forward. So if a guy was flushed out of the pocket because the defender got close to him, like that wasn't being counted. It was only when the quarterback was right. The ball. Um, so uh, they came up with hurries in the off season, which is less than one and a half yards of pass rush separation at any point up to uh, the pass forward. So you can have a hurry and pressure in the same play. If he's less than a, one and a half yards, the pressure is uh, definition is two yards to avoid some overlap there. Um, so this is giving us a more comprehensive picture from a next-gen standpoint of um, a pass rusher's ability. Uh, and we've come up yeah. with disruptions to kind of combine those. And, you know, traditionally, it's usually like hits and hurries um, equals pressure, like a hit or a hurry equals a pressure. The way that we've done it now with just our terminology is a hurry or a pressure um, on a play gives a player disruption. Um, and then from the opposite side, what we can do, which is really exciting, is uh, it gives us pressures evaded. Um, so if a quarterback was hurried on a play but escaped that hurry and was not pressured by the time he was thrown, so basically like, you know, think of Russell Wilson, think of Baker Mayfield, who actually led the league in that evading 20, yeah. 25% of his pressures last year. Um, so it's a good way to, you know, measure how the quarterback himself is kind of depressing um, pressure rate compared to his offensive line. A good way to, you know, divide the credit there. Yeah, um, so it's it's more of the work of kind of what we talked about the last time were you on, which was just trying to figure out of the 22 guys on the field, who is responsible for, you know, each percentage of EPA basically, or like, you know, who who is creating – who is creating the difference in success for the offense or success for the defense on, on every single play. It's, it's just more ways to capture that, you know, basically, basically using player tracking to, to find more solutions to EPA. Yeah. And, and uh, there's been some really great work done recently by like Eric Eager and George Ruri at uh, PFF. Um, and this has been a thing for a long time that, you know, pressure is more of a quarterback stat than a uh, an offensive line stat um, and you know football outsiders is hammering that home 10 years ago even but the study that they did recently I suggest people check out and it's really comprehensive and this is just another way that we can say you know Deshaun Watson was the fourth most pressured quarterback last year but it could have been even worse had it not been for his high pressures evaded rate you know yeah so where do, where do you stand on that uh interceptions and sacks and stuff as well well we're really, really just sacks where do you stand on the idea that sacks are a quarterback stat um i you know it i think that it's more of a quarterback stat than offensive line because time to throw is just so correlated with sack and pressure rate um and you really see the increase in um pressure rate in the two uh, in like almost like the 1.75 second to 2.75 second range um which is interesting right from what i've seen but uh i do think that the quarterback like year over year the guys that are going to be highly pressured because they're holding out of the ball are going to continually be high, highly pressured and you can get an offensive line that will help mitigate that i mean offensive line definitely plays a huge part in it but the quarterback in the end is probably the most important factor in deciding pressure rate in my mind 
Yeah. And that, I mean, I guess kind of that makes sense intuitively to me because uh, like I, I heard someone kind of explain it basically that, you know, there are a lot of decisions that a quarterback can make when they are under pressure and that kind of defines the style of quarterback they are, whether they look for the safe option, uh, Aaron Rodgers looks for the safe option a lot of the time, yeah. whether yeah. they, whether they still look for, you know, the, the positive play, even in that situation, that would be like the Jameis Winston outcome where, pretty much regardless of what situation he or, him, or he or his receivers find himself in, he's still trying to create positive plays, even though those create a lot of negative outcomes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's uh, that whole kind of area of, that next gen is worked on in the off season. They've also um, created uh, some time in the tackle box. They're not just measuring time to throw, but time in the tackle box. I think that's a, um, good. We haven't really dove into it yet, but I, I'm definitely interested to see how that kind of affects pressure rates and affects like, you know, just, you can tell like Josh Allen probably has a lot less time in the tackle box because he's so willing to scramble all the time, like, and kind of classifying quarterbacks that way, I think will be interesting going forward. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like that idea. I think we will be able to do a lot of like, uh, like stylistic comps on quarterbacks that will really just the more information we get on stuff other than yards, touchdowns, turnovers for quarterbacks, uh, like the, the easier it is for us to create buckets of comparisons because quarterback comps are, are really hard to make like wide receiver, running back, tight end comps on offense you can make, but quarterbacks is a lot more difficult. Yeah, and we have like a whole tendencies dashboard at uh, Next Gen that's really cool. Um, we can kind of see, you know, what percentage of the time they throw inside the tackle box, what percentage of the time they're throwing on the run, what areas of the field they're targeting, what positions they're targeting, um, stuff like that. But uh, so it's kind of cool. A lot of our, a lot of stuff, content that we come up with are like comparisons of style, which I like to do at least. Um, yeah. So what are what are a couple of the big things that uh, are on the horizon for NFL next gen? Before we touch on that, I just want to go one more. Uh, oh, yeah. Caused by pressure is uh, another one of my favorite things that they've developed in the offseason. Um, so basically, this is any time a pass rusher has a pressure, and it's usually strip sacks that are recovered by the defense. And um, anytime they have a pressure uh, – and the quarterback throws interception. So I like giving credit to the pass rusher there because they're the ones that made the quarterback, you know, flushed and throw the bad um, play to a, to a point, obviously, as we were yeah. talking about earlier, depends on the quarterback style of play. But um, that's definitely one of my favorite uh, things we've developed in the offseason. And then the things that are in development, there's some huge things on the horizon that I'm very specific about. Uh, excited about i cannot go into the specifics is what i was going to just say right there but um engineers are hard at work uh working on some models that should set, shed some light on uh qb decision making and those decision making tendencies um and this is going to be built off of our existing models uh including completion probability which i hope everyone knows by now because we mostly that's our main thing on sunday night football that we'll put out for the most part um and We've expanded that to measure, you know, the completion probability of any target on the field. Um, if you remember from the Super Bowl, that Romo vision thing where, you know, he zoomed in on three different receivers and said, this one had a this percentage of completion, this one had a this percentage of completion, and this one had this percentage of completion. He chose that. So um, building off that, I'm really excited about um, what's 
what this is going to be. You know, it's still in development, so I can't really talk about it that much, but be on a lookout um, in a few months or so. Uh, Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. So along those same lines, uh, what well, we are very early in the season, but what are some of the trends that, uh, well, really that are just most exciting from the early goings? Like what is some of the stuff that you guys have picked up that, uh, that just seems new, fresh, cool, anything like that? Yeah. So uh, one thing that, I don't know, just week one in general, um, I saw a lot of just unique personnel packages that are like was used the most in a game since 2016. Like that, that's just been very cool and notable for me. So the Patriots um, tw- used 20 personnel on 23 plays um, on Sunday night versus Steelers, which was the most in a game by any team in, since 2016. And the second most in a game, in, uh, by any team since 2016 was the Bears uh, on Thursday night against the Packers who used it on um, 21 plays. But the thing about the Bears one is um, Tariq Cohen only aligned in the backfield on like two of his like 48 snaps. So if that can Yeah, he was, he was like a wide receiver basically. He's, he should be reclassified as a wide receiver and that'll go down to 10 personnel, um, which – is interesting because uh, speaking of 10 personnel, Arizona uh, cliff is coming out immediately in 10 personnel, which is super interesting. I know uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, friend of your pod um, has just wrote an article about uh, that and looking at, you know, how many guys go out for routes and pass effectiveness, um, which is really interesting on a 538 suggest people go check that out. But um, they used 10 personnel on 56 of 82 plays last week which is the most in the game, again, since 2016. So that's one thing that's been uh, pretty fascinating, just overall looking at Cliff and how he's going to take over the league, um, or not maybe not take over the league, but what he's going to do in the league is going to be uh, very interesting going forward. I also think – Yeah, that- I, I, I'm curious as to how many people, how many offenses start to see what they're doing really well and see what is working for the Arizona offense and starting to incorporate those elements because that's just what happens. Anytime something works, other teams start to take it. And I, I, I wonder what other NFL coaches are going to say, okay, Cliff is doing this and it's clearly – working and I, I just am sort of curious as to what elements kind of get taken from his offense yeah and one thing I really want to look into when I get the chance with the next gen data is um seeing if his uh the air raid kind of wide splits of the offensive lineman has can, carried over to the NFL yeah. um, I'm sure you can kind of get an idea of this from film but it'd be interesting to see like you know where he ranks um you know and how much of an outlier he is in terms of the NFL and same thing with the like extremely max splits of his receivers when he's going four wide and two by twos. It looks like um, it's been uh, Christian Kirk and uh, Larry Fitzgerald on in the slot, I believe. Um, And uh, it's been like Demarius bird and uh, Keyshawn Johnson outside. So yeah. And it's going to be, it's going to be Crabtree starting in week two, I think is Crabtree is going to replace Demir bird. And so it's going to be like a bunch, it's going to be, you know, his boy, old, old Texas tech, all world wide receiver, Michael Crabtree back in the mix. Love to see that. Um, I mean, wasn't it cliff that was thrown to, uh, Crabtree? 
Oh man, if that, okay, I'm going to go look right now because if that's true, I, I should have been like talking about this on podcasts in the past, but I mean, I know, I know that he was one of Leach's quarterbacks. Okay. So 2008, the Texas tech quarterback was Graham Harrell. Graham and, Harrell uh, was, yeah, it was Graham Harrell. So it was a, like Cliff was there. Cliff uh, was 2003 or something. Yeah, it was. So it was a little bit before that. Okay. I was getting USC confused, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cliff was about to be OC there. Right. Um, but, yeah, um, another thing um, I want to look at um, with – hope I'm hoping to get it classified with Next Gen um, after, you know, all the big projects are done uh, and they can kind of have some free time. But there's been a lot of um, talk about sim pressures slash creepers this offseason. Um, Steven Ruiz, uh, who's a writer for uh, USA Today, is – done a lot of great work on it in the off season, but um, basically if for the listeners that don't know what a sim pressure or a creeper is, it's basically like a, it's when you have someone that's on the line of scrimmage. So like a defensive lineman that drops into coverage. Yeah. It's, so like, it's, a, like, like, zone blitz. Blitz. it's like play it's action, but for blitz. without blitzing. Yeah. So, and then you have another guy come that's, you know, off ball linebacker, cornerback, slot corner, or safety or something that comes and – but you still have four or less pass rushers. So it's like yeah. trying to overload sides of the line. Um, I know Mike Patton has been using it a lot in Green Bay, and that makes sense because it comes from the Rex Ryan tree, and Rex Ryan was big in that. Um, and the Packers defense in general is exciting to me. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really solid uh, group this year. They're using – a lot of man defense with all that investment in the corners and, you know, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith are two pretty underrated pass rushers that, you know, are hopefully going to keep killing it like they did week one. Um, I know that sim pressures and creepers were, uh, I think they were on two of Baker's three picks. Yeah. Week one too. So I know the Titans have been using them pretty effectively, but hopefully uh, we get those classified and start, you know, looking at, the tendencies of defenses and that and break it break out things instead of just blitz and non-blitz and the blitz creeper and you know just regular four-man pass rush uh and kind of see the overall efficiencies of those uh so that's something i'm definitely excited about you know hopefully looking into later in the season um yeah one of my one of my favorite things and you noted this in our agenda is teams are so one teams are going for it more on fourth down unfortunately they are calling some horrible plays on fourth down, just some really, really bad fourth and one, fourth and short calls. What I, what I mean, bravo, bravo to the coaches. Yeah, why, why don't teams just run the QB sneak? It's, it's the most effective play in football. It's like an 80% conversion rate on fourth and one. And of course, no one's run it more than Tom Brady because it's Belichick, but I, I just don't understand why teams don't line up and do that i saw that i think it was maybe it was texas lsu game this past weekend but they were four like third and one and fourth and one from the four and they lined up in shotgun both times and got stuffed i'm like just literally all you need to like you're making it so much harder for yourself line up under center and just try to push it forward twice and you're probably gonna win you're yeah probably- i mean i i would even i would even say for teams with a quarterback that's not like uh you know it's not like a guy who can move a little bit like dallas or Buffalo or Carolina, they should have done this last night. I would even be okay with like zone quarterback read. power. Yeah, well, just or, or quarterback read. power or zone read. One of the two. Yeah, 
like either of those are fine for I mean zone read we saw Deshaun Watson do it on fourth and one and the defense bit so hard because they were just expecting the off tackle run that he had 20 yards of field to go and just go ahead and walk into the end zone basically no yeah I, I zone read and short yardage is also a great play and I think as um Josh Hernsmeyer again uh has shown uh polling and um any sort of polling or gap scheme where you're you know having a specific point of attack uh yeah. is more efficient in short yardage than a zone run where you know the running back has to make a read um so I'd like to see more because like zone runs outnumbered power in his study at least like gap runs uh like five to one or something i forget the exact numbers but i'd like to see you know teams use more gap uh schemes on fourth and one because like it doesn't really matter like all that matters is the the downside is already just not converting so if they break through the line and you know the unblocked guy tackles your guy like i think that's going to happen less than just a zone play where the running back just doesn't make it to like you really only matter care about conversion rate there so right definitely would like to see more power in fourth down um, so, and down decision making is like the only thing that's keeping me watching giants games this season because i'm a yeah. long, not as long sorry not long suffering i've had a great life as a giant fan the past few years have been very rough and um Shermer last year i know was like the second most aggressive uh coach on fourth down and he's continued that this season so that's uh, one of the saving graces right now. It's gonna get it's gonna get worse before it gets better. It's gonna it's gonna be a. I mean I mean maybe may, I I actually think if if Eli keeps playing like this, we're gonna see Jones start a game by like week eight or nine. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I just uh, I was looking at the schedule. And I'm like, all right, Eli needs to play week six against the Patriots and just let them be that be his last game ever and for the Giants. I think that's, you know, just the storybook ending that we need in the Eli Manning era of uh, right. the New York Giants. Yeah. Uh, so topic very near and dear to my heart, especially speaking of the, uh, speaking of the Giants who just got blown out by, uh, by my favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys last oh. week, all, all off season, we heard, you know, Kellen Moore, he's got this new offensive system. You know, he's a coach's son. He played at Boise State where they ran this, like, wildly creative hybrid spread air raid. Like, this, the Boise State stuff in the mid-2000s was actually crazy, and I don't think people appreciated it at the, uh, at the time. So what are we seeing from the offense that is so different than what they've done the last five years with Scott Linehan? So uh, speaking of um... – the Boise offense. I definitely recommend anyone check out my coworker. He's also a Cowboys fan who is just obsessed with Kellen Moore now. Um, and has been saying it all off season. He wrote an article for inside the pylon looking at, you know, Kellen Moore's offense before the season and all the shifts in motion stuff. And so, so far, you know, that's just been, it's been a hundred percent spot on. Um, one thing, uh, and this is from extra stats, uh, and there'll be a blurb about this in the photo essay that's uh, coming out today. Uh, so definitely people check that out as well. Um, but they've been using more 11 personnel. Uh, so in 2018, they used it about on a 63% of plays in week one, 73. So about, you know, 10 percentage point increase. And they were so efficient on a week one, averaging 8.9 yards per play and 13.6 yards per pass, uh, which is a, the per play is a 3.4% uh, 3.4 yard increase from last year. 
Um, and right now, with given their personnel, you know, that's just getting their best players in the field. You want Gallup, uh, Cooper, and Cobb all on the field at the same time. Uh, it'd be right. interesting to see them run a little 20 personnel and get Pollard and Zeke on the field at the same time, too. It's just, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not a, I don't think Witten still has that much. He was wide open on that touchdown, and Jarwin, same thing there. I'd, but, um, you know, another thing that he's doing more, again, just for analytical nerds to rejoice, is using uh, more play action. So in 2018, um, per PFF, they ranked uh, 13th with 25%. Um, week one, they used it on 47% of dropbacks, which was second highest in the league. And that's also the second largest increase in the NFL year over year. And um, I think it'll stay. Uh, just, you know, it seems like Kellen Moore knows what he was knows what he's doing. Um, and I mean, D- Dak already had the best game of his career. What one game in to yeah. uh, Kellen Moore's tenure, his first 400 yard game, uh, and his I, I believe it was his first perfect passer rating game as well. Yeah, and uh, the Giants linebackers were just biting so hard on the play action. And yes, it was regardless of if Zeke or Tony Pollard were in the game. It was just – that was really frustrating. Um, anyway, uh, another thing that was – it was fun to watch, to be honest, um, as much as I hate the Cowboys, was just they were using so much shift in motion. Um, so in 2018, they used shift in motion on 44% of plays, which was 13th in the NFL. Um, on, in week one, they used it on 69% of plays. Which is fourth in the which is fourth in the NFL, and that was the second largest increase in the NFL as well. So, um, and I know that helped uh, Zach Prescott um, a lot to identify man coverage, and I think he was like five for five for a hundred something yards and a touchdown versus man coverage uh, versus the Giants. So, you know, the shifts in the motions, the play action—it's it's, it's going to be a fun offense to watch, and you know, they've always had the talent. I mean, one of the best offensive lines in the league. Dak's a very solid quarterback. Now they got Cooper, they got Zeke, they got Gallup, they got Cobb. I think they're going to keep rolling. And uh, as much as it pains me to say, um, but yeah, definitely exciting things going on down there. It also seems like they're doing a lot more early down passing, which again, you know, just to analytics nerds everywhere they're rejoicing yeah. yeah no they're just doing like it's like it's like twitter called all of the plays for dallas week one is yeah. like honestly what it was like just like play action regardless of who the running back was throw it on first down use jet motion or move someone around before the snap like it, it really it was like it was just crazy yeah and um i don't know if you follow cowboy stats on twitter but he was just a sight to see during that first game just because he was harping on that stuff all season and when it actually came true it's yeah yeah no it was it was really great uh speaking of speaking of uh twitter calling plays though uh i i think i think this is a, a really interesting thing to talk about what makes cliff kingsbury's air raid cliff kingsbury's air raid like i think everyone like a lot of people associate it with Mike Leach, those Texas Tech teams, and then a lot of also a lot of really bad college football teams use the air raid as well. Uh, and then some of the really good uh, Big Twelve teams like Oklahoma use a lot of elements as well. And uh, I saw a couple interesting threads on Twitter talking about Cliff actually doing some things that 
were not as effective as the uh, the Mike Leach, air, Mike Leach air raid. So, you know, what makes Cliff's offense uh, different from Mike Leach's, basically? So I got a lot of these numbers from SIS, and huge shout-out to uh, Bryce Rossler um, at BT Rossler on Twitter, uh, who just gathered a bunch of these um, really interesting stats for me. But um, we can look at kind of the routes that uh, they ran and kind of identify from that which, you know, air raid staple plays um, Leach uses more compared to Cliff. Um, so for Leach, it seems like um, they use a lot more mesh. He uses a lot more mesh than uh, Cliff. So, like, for instance, if you look at um, slot wide receivers, um, the most frequent routes for Texas Tech were, you know, seam. Uh, which were 16% of routes last year, curls, which were 15% of routes last year, um, slants, which were 15% of routes last year, and outs, which were 9% of routes last year. And you compare that to slot receivers in the Washington State offense. Um, the drag route was their most frequent at 11%. So that's mesh right there. Um, and the out route um, was about 10%. So, uh, and then deep cross and corners were 9%, 8%. So with the uh, deep crosses, um, you're seeing more Y cross from the um, Washington State than uh, Cliff used. Um, and then with the seams, the curls and the outs in Cliff's offense, him using those more, you're seeing a lot more stick um, plays and a lot more yeah. four verts. Um, and that's also seen by their, you know, their outside wide receivers. Uh, it seems like Cliff has a more vertical game in general. Um, for uh, Texas Tech, um, they ran uh, 35% of their uh, outside wide receivers routes were uh, nine routes, so like goes, flies, and fades um, last year. And that's compared to 20% for Washington State. So again, that's more of a four, four verts thing. Um, and then the second most frequent route for Texas Tech outside wide receivers were curls. So I'm thinking that those are a lot of four, still four birds being called plays, but those are converted based on the coverage. And then you look at uh, Washington State's second most frequent route um, from, wide from wide aligned receivers was a dig, which um, is used on mesh, uh, used in conjunction with mesh and Y cross a good amount. Um, and then cur they had curls at 11%. And if you look at outside wide receivers for Arizona in week one, they ran go like nine routes on 25% of the plays. So that's yeah, they're, they're, they're the outside wide receivers in Cliff's system are like the clear out guys. They're like the, they, those guys are not going to be the intended targets on a lot of those plays unless they just like absolutely burn the corner that they beat. Like that's why like Kirk and Fitz on the inside are going to be like the, the really highly targeted guys. Yeah, and another interesting thing um, was 15% of the outside wide receivers uh, routes for Texas Tech last year were blocking, actually. So that's, ha like, how much more um, Cliff used the screen game than uh, Leach. Um, yeah, that, it, that's, that seems odd to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very high um, amount, which is pretty interesting, but... Um, yeah, like I think 39% of backfield targets for Texas Tech were screened last year. 14% of wide targets for Texas Tech were screened last year and 18% of 
spot targets for Texas Tech last year. And they didn't really do that week one, which is interesting. Um, so only one out of 25 Arizona spot targets were screens, only one out of 19 Arizona wide targets were screens. So that's around 5% each. And then zero of the five backfield targets for Arizona were screens. So that's one part of his game that it seems like so far, at least, he has not brought to the NFL. But, you know, maybe that's game script. And I'm excited to see how that develops with a larger sample size. And I mean, he's got the personnel to do it right. The, like to run those screens. Cause he's got David Johnson who like, is just, who's like probably the best screen pass. Like, like, I mean, he's the best receiving running back in the NFL, I think. Yeah. And what was really promising week one was, <laughs> I think David Johnson had like 43 air yards week one. And he had on seven yeah. targets, he had 33 air yards on, 76 targets in total last season. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy. I'm, I'm trying to get David Johnson in every league I can right now because especially yeah. he, because he's on pace. I, I know t- uh, in 2016 he had like 580 air yards, and the next closest season in the past three years was Tariq Cohen at like what 250 less air yards in a season, and those are just so valuable. Uh, for fantasy and stuff um, and just for your offense um, you know Ben Baldwin's d- done a lot of great work on running back targets and you know their relative efficiency lately but that's because the thing is most running back targets are like behind the line of scrimmage and if you can target them downfield especially on those you know halfback steam plays that were all the rave last year um, with the jet sweep motion that's how uh, Johnson scored um, in week one, um, definitely love to see that for him, uh, using him more as a dynamic receiver. Um, and again, uh, I mentioned that, you know, when looking at the concepts, Cliff runs a lot more stick screens and four birds compared to Leach's more mesh Y cross and Y corner. But um, it's funny if you look at like the air yards per target for Washington State and Texas Tech last year, like Washington State was second to last in the FBS and they had 5.9 air yards per attempt and Texas Tech was still really low. They were 123rd. Um, but they st- still averaged like 1.6 air yards per target more than Washington state. So like the degree of difference, even though it's only like seven spots out of 130 is huge. And this was a fun little nugget that Bryce pulled looking at the top three uh, air yards per target team or all triple option teams, just like shot plays only. So Georgia Tech, 15.5 air yards for attempt last year, Navy 14.4 air yards for attempt last year, and Air Force 13.3 air yards for attempt last year. Yeah. Uh, so, so something that listeners of this show know is that I think every air raid quarterback should be drafted and stashed by an NFL team. That means that means Luke Falk. That means uh, Gardner Minshew. That means all the the Oklahoma quarterbacks. I don't care. Yeah. And I think these dudes with 1,200 reps at college are, are valuable NFL roster pieces, and we saw why on Sunday. Gardner Minshew came in for the injured Nick Foles, went 22-25 on a bunch of really like easy, kind of simple concepts. And I, I think that you know when we see guys like Tom Savage or Brock Osweiler, or you know even if we went the other way, you know guys like uh, like Joe Webb or Terrell Pryor, when those guys came in, or Josh Dobbs, even like these run first kind of style quarterbacks, um, I, I think the issue we see with them is they just are not able to keep it together for the rest of the game. 
right? Like, I, when, when is the last time we saw, uh, you know, one of these quarterbacks come into the game who is not like a, not a top draft pick, like not, not a good quarterback come in and like actually be able to do anything repeatable. And so I thought the Jacksonville coaching Dak, staff. Maybe, maybe Dak. Oh you know, yeah, Dak. He, like that, that is the last guy. That's the last guy I remember coming in, in like middle of a game and like, be, like being good, like, or like, you know, just being fine. So yeah, that that's what four years ago at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that um, you know that one thing that was really interesting looking at Gardner Minshew. You know, he completed his first like twelve passes or something, uh, which I think was like an NFL record or something. Um, and we like mid game when we were working, like we were talking on our Slack channel, like thinking like, <laughs> oh, maybe because like I remember last year when I think Phil Rivers broke the record with like 25 completions in a row and like Nick Foles also had like a game like that. Um, we wanted to take the completion probability of each single one of those plays and like multiply it together, like assuming independent events to see what yeah. are that he makes 25 straight completions. But the thing about Minshew, like when we were starting to look into that, like all of his passes like were so easy. Like they all had like yeah, crazy like easy 60 plus, completion probability like his lowest one was maybe like 40 I think uh that's really shooting from the hip here so don't take any of these numbers seriously but um and that showed in his uh x-comp in week one so he had 71.8 percent x-comp in week one so he was expected to complete 71.8 percent of his uh passes based on our completion probability model which was the sixth highest of any quarterback in week one um and what this kind I mean it's a different system and, you know, different quarterbacks, but it kind of reminds me of how Jacoby Prissett is playing this year so far. Um, and one area that, you know, they both showed up when I was looking into this is they're attacking the seams a lot more. And, you know, it's not downfield the seams, but just the area between the numbers and the hashes, um, which has been shown by uh, numerous people, but uh, most notably maybe Sarah Malpai, uh, probably mangled her name but she works for the Ravens now but she is the one that came up with the scraping the next gen passing charts and then kind of creating heat maps to see like where throws are most likely to be completed and if you look at you know that area down the field like you get five more air yards and it's still the same completion percentage as inside the hashes and outside the numbers like that's definitely the most efficient area to target um, and Frank Reich, since he's taken over as the uh, Colts um, coach, has really emphasized that, which I like. So Minshew led the league um, with 68% of his attempts down the scenes last week, and Brissett was right behind him at 67. Um, and this was also seen with Andrew Luck last year, uh, who had the second highest rate targeting the scenes at 56. Um, and just in general, looking at like the parallels between how Reich has made Brissett set him up to succeed more than Shadinsky did uh, before. Um, right. Like, so they're dropping their time to throw. So uh, Brissett had his time to throw at 2.89 seconds in 2017. Um, and it was 2.33 seconds in week one. So that's a really dramatic difference. And Luck also had like over a full season. He was right with Brissett in 2016, a 2.88 time to throw. Uh, seconds and uh, in 2018 he dropped that down to 2.63 uh, seconds time to throw um, which has 
also helped limit their pressure along with obviously the massive improvements they've made to their offensive line, getting guys like Quentin Nelson, um, Braden Smith, et cetera. Uh, but Brissett and Luck uh, had top five pressure rates in their last season as a Colts starter before Wright. And Brissett was only pressured on four of his 29 dropbacks in week one, which is 13.8%. And Luck almost cut his pressure rate in half last season at 21, 2.1%. All right, so the last thing I want to talk to you about is this uh, photo essay material that you did on NFL.com. Uh, you had your, had your first written material on the, the big flagship website come out. You, uh, you touched on uh, four of the trends that we've kind of already danced around a little bit here on the show. So I wanted to close it off with you covering some of the uh, interesting information that you uncovered for your first NFL.com article. Yeah. So uh, look out for the photo essay. Um, it's going to be every week kind of taking our best uh, research notes and, you know, putting it into more of an editorial spin. Um, and it's going to be between the three uh, next-gen researchers. So myself, uh, Joseph Ferriola, um, and Matt Reinhardt, uh, and Reinhardt is the guy that wrote the first one last week. So be sure to check that out as well. Um, but basically, uh, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll dive right into it. Um, one of my favorite things, I mean, I love Lamar Jackson, uh, wrote 5,000 word article for football outsiders about how you can't play man cover two against him like two years ago. Uh, and I've always been a big, uh, believer in him. Um, and so I was ecstatic to see how. He started off the season, um, and the really interesting thing is, you know, given his, you know, uh, reputation for, you know, how electric his athleticism is, um, yeah. he's been so much better as a pocket passer in the NFL. So, um, especially week one, like 16 of his 17 attempts, uh, he completed 16 of his 17 attempts inside the tackle box um, for 322 yards and all five of his touchdowns. Um, and this is extended throughout his career. He's averaged nearly twice as many yards per attempt, 9.3, uh, than when throwing outside the tackle box, which is 4.7. Um, and most like throws by quarterbacks, I think like the NFL average is probably around somewhere in the low eighties percent are being thrown from the tackle box. Um, and you know, last year, uh, he's been able to get rid of the ball much quicker when he's staying in there, which makes sense, you know, when you're rolling out to the tackle box, it's just extending the time. So I think that that's helped with his processing and everything. Um, and he has, so he threw his average time to throw is 2.51 seconds inside compared to 4.7 outside, which is a pretty dramatic difference. Um, and he has 11 to two touchdown interception ratio inside compared to throwing zero touchdowns and one interception outside. Uh, and, you know, a lot of credit, given to uh greg roman for adapting this yeah perfect scheme it seems so far for him yeah and I, there was some really interesting stuff by um former offensive line coach paul alexander on twitter about how the raven specific you know run scheme and you know using lamar as a threat uh kind of like just kept the dolphins defense um susceptible to deep passing and especially passes down the scenes and everything. So, but um, last season, Lamar had the lowest uh, percentage of his passes, 72% uh, inside the tackle box. And that's increased to 85% in week one. So um, the straight dropbacks using play action a lot as I think they were first in the league in play action 
um, and not necessarily the rollouts is where Lamar has really um, excelled so far and excited to see, you know, him play a team that's not the Dolphins as well. And uh, the Kyler Lamar matchup this week should be just a hell of a game. Yeah. I, I'm so, I'm so pumped for it. I hope, I hope that uh, the, the spread is wrong and that it stays closer than, uh, than two touchdowns. Uh, one of the things you touched on was really one of the things that I, I had no answer for in the off season, which is what are the Patriots going to do without a tight end that they trust? Uh, because Rob Gronkowski has been such a huge part of their offense for a decade. And then even outside of Gronkowski, they had so many veteran tight ends that they rotated in next to him. And now they, they have no one. Right now, for the first four weeks of the season, the Patriots have no tight end that they trust. Yeah, and um, it seems like they still ran uh, 21 personnel a good amount, but they also just eschewed the tight end position completely on a very high percentage of their plays. As I touched on earlier, they ran 20 personnel. So that's two running backs with zero tight ends on the field um, on 23 offensive plays, which is the most by any team in a game since 2016. Uh, and I love putting this in perspective. They use that same personnel grouping on 18 plays combined in 2017 and 18. So um leave it to Belichick to adapt the scheme to the strength of his players. Um, overall, they had two running backs in the field on 48 of their 67 plays, um, which I believe, again, ranks top five in the past uh, six seasons. So they're, and it, it seems like they're doing it almost in duos and it's like they're doing the, the same thing they did last year, but with the obvious like um, tells based on who's in the game. So, James White and Rex Burkhead, I'm sure these overlapped a lot, but if they were on the field, like 28 of James White's 32 snaps were passes and 22 of Rex Burkhead's uh, 30 passes were snaps, uh, were passes. So that's like, all right, if they're in the, on the field, they'd probably get a pass. If Sony Michelle, who's 17 of his 22 snaps were runs and James Devlin, 21 of his 30 snaps were runs are on the field, it's going to be, a run, most likely. And one of my favorite things, this also ranked true last season, was Sony, like, so four of his five passing plays, these play action. So it's just, Belichick's the best at self-scouting. Like, he's just operating on another level of everyone else. And um, he's using a running back by committee where he's using these tells to his advantage, which is crazy. Because, right. um, yeah. like, one of the – Good things about having a, a guy like Le'Veon or, or Gurley or just a versatile back like David Johnson is you don't give off those tells, but if you can use those tells to advantage, maybe that doesn't even matter. Um, and this extended to last season. Uh, we kind of harp on this in the playoffs a lot. Uh, I think I spoke about this on the show, but Michelle and Devlin ranked first and second among 231 skill position players with their snaps in run rate when they're on the field, and James White on the opposite end ranked uh, 220th. So, uh, it's great to see that continuing and, uh, yeah. So the, the last thing I want to pick on or uh, touch on here before we get out of here. And uh, of course, thank you so much for the time is the Atlanta, Philadelphia and, uh, the Falcons getting back, you know, one of the only defensive players that has really made a difference for them over the last few years and Deion Jones. Yeah, and, um, you know, Deion Jones missed 10 games in 2018, so we have a decent sample size on um, their plays with and without him. And, you know, with all these on and off splits, there's always the how much is actually affected by the player and how much is this affected by 
you know, opponent um, adjustments, et cetera. But I think it's still interesting to look at. Um, so since 2018, um, they've created pressure at a higher rate to so 31.5% with Jones on the field and 28.3% without. They've allowed 2.1 less yards per uh, pass attempt. So that's uh, 6.2 yards uh, per pass attempt without and 8.3 without, 6.2 with Jones on the field. And have allowed like uh, almost half the passing touchdowns per attempt. So 3.5% TD percentage with Jones on the field, 6.9% without. Um, and he's not really an elite pass rusher. Uh, he's only generated three pressures on 81 pass rushes since 2018. But I, I think this you can tie this together. Um, his elite coverage ability has forced opposing quarterbacks to hold on to the ball longer. So yeah. 2.86 uh, seconds time to throw with Jones and all the way down to 2.64 without. Um, that's definitely interesting. kind of helps explain the difference in pressure rate and the sack rate difference is even more dramatic. So 8.2% sack rate uh, with Jones on the field and 4.8% without him. Um, so Definitely getting Deion Jones back is a huge boost to the Falcons' defense, and we'll see if uh, it, it makes a difference in the Atlanta game uh, in the Philadelphia matchup this week. Yeah. Well, there we go. Keegan, thank you so much for the time. Tell people uh, where they can find all of the stuff that you were working on with the NFL. Yeah, so definitely uh, a lot of the content we generate is uh, put on our Twitter page, so Next Gen Stats at at Nation Stats on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at, at Keegan Abdu. Um, and yeah, just be on the lookout during NFL broadcasts. And yeah, a lot of good stuff coming out during the games. Yeah, with just Next Gen Stats. Check out the play diagrams. Check, go to watch our live uh, play diagrams and everything and just mess around with it. Um, and I hope to come out soon. Uh, just a scraper where you can get the. Um, week by week data without having to copy and paste it. Uh, so you can kind of build, you know, stuff off of that, like a defense expected completion rate uh, allowed and stuff without just copying and pasting a bunch. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, yeah. And thanks for having me on Davis. There we go. Everyone make sure to check out all the cool stuff going on over at uh, NFL next gen stats, and we will be back next week.